This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Welcome back to Crowcasts. In our third and final episode of this series on sustainability, it's an important strategic business goal. Joined again by my guest, Rush Griffiths, Avalanche Andretti's Formula E team principal. Good to, to get a chance to speak to you again, Roger. Welcome. Yes, and thank you. Thank you for having me back. Um, to close the series, Roger, we'll look at what it takes to be successful in sustainability and the role communication, engagement and collaboration play in this success. So let's start by, by Roger, by talking about scope three emissions and those indirect emissions associated with the supply chain and the use of products and services, particularly challenging to deal with. And I think most of Formula E's remaining emissions are scope three emissions. How are you tackling those or planning to tackle them within the sport? Yeah, I mean, the, the, these are the big hitters. I mean, you know, the significant contribution to what it is that we we do and what we're trying to deal with. I mean, they're they're basically the the freight of everything that the championship needs to go around the world. I mean, we're talking three seven four seven airplanes, um, full of all cars and uh, championship equipment. We're talking about the travel of potentially up to four thousand people around the world, and and also the you know when we actually get there, the operations and the racing championship. So, not insignificant. I mean, of course, we could just not race, and then that fixes that problem completely. But um, what does that really achieve? And, you know, we, we could also apply that logic to cancelling the football season, the Olympics, and every other sporting event. But, you know, we, we have to live in this world, and we have to enjoy our time in this world, but we have to be realistic about what's achievable. So we what we try to do is to focus on putting on the events in, in a manner that's most responsible and mm. you know, we are having goals set to us about reducing the amount of freight that we take we're looking at can we send some items via sea freight rather than just sending everything by air now there is a, a downside to sending sub by sea freight it obviously takes longer which means that we yeah. potentially need multiple sets of certain things and we have to look at what can survive being on a ship in a container with the salt water and all the rest of it. So, but I think if you look over perhaps the duration of two or three seasons, there are some net cost savings to us as a race team, um, which go against offsetting the capital lay at the beginning. But, you know, the big winner there is the offset of, you know, significantly reduced um, environmental impact by not having to fly so many things around the world. So, I think, you know, we, we have to recognize these challenges. We can take action. Um, and we have to bring awareness to them. A, a few years ago, I, I, I was asked a very similar question and it was in and around the Indianapolis 500, which is a, a race I know quite well from my past life. And I, I looked at the total emissions from the racing cars. So I assumed that 33 cars did 500 laps, nobody crashed or anything like that. And I looked at what the emissions were. And then I looked mm. at the 400,000 people that came to the event and the yeah. emissions 
from the racing cars were insignificant compared to the people coming to watch the event. But, you know, as I said earlier, we do need to have this entertainment in our lives. It would be very dull without it. We just have to recognize the challenges and look at, you know, what is it that we can do? Uh, I mean, one of the things that we, we touched on very briefly in the previous episode was about the fact that Formula E is an electric racing championship. And where do we get the electricity from that powers our cars or how we charge our cars? You know, if we're getting it from a coal-fired power station, that's not very good. But if we can get it from a renewable energy source, um, whether it's through um, a a fossil fuel that is renewable, whether it's through uh, hydrogen, you know, clean hydrogen, whether it's through solar or wind power, these are things that can make a big difference. What we don't want to be getting here from is, you know, big smoky diesel generators. And so Formula E in the early days actually looked at this very seriously and they they had a an agreement for for a number of years where they were using glycerine as the fuel for their generators which was 20 times less CO emissions compared to diesel so from the very outset from season one they looked at this as important the reality is that the, you know the generation of electricity is actually very very small in terms of the CO emissions but it's a very very visible thing you know, if you come yep. to the racetrack and you see smoke pouring out of chimney stacks from generators, then people say, well, that's not very good. But it only accounts for 3% perhaps of, of the total emissions, but it's very visible and it's what the journalists pick up on and commentate on. So we, we have to look at every area that identify the big hitters because that's where the, the opportunities are. Yeah. So I guess it comes back again to using data, as you talked about in previous episode as a, a way of helping you to understand how you make those finely balanced decisions. Um, perhaps talk us through how you, how you think those, those decisions through, Roger. I mean, one of the easy ones is when, uh, when I get the freight invoices come through and I'm <laughs> looking at these bills, <laughs> I'm thinking that's a lot of money we're spending on sending stuff around the world. And then I go and see the chief mechanic and say, have you seen these late freight invoices? Do you know how much it cost me to send that equipment that you said was absolutely essential to that race? We can't do that anymore. Mm. So what can we do to look at how much stuff we take with us? Do we need to take 20 sets of dampers with us for the race cars? Or can we get away with eight sets of dampers? Do we need to take all of these extra tools or can we you know, get rid of a few of them. And over the course of the the season, typically the freight weight progressively increases just because that's the nature of the beast. So I always make sure they have a big reset at the end of each season. So, you know, that, that, that's a very simple and obvious example, but it, it, it certainly demonstrates I get an invoice come in. It's a lot of money. And I look at the direct impact of, well, that's just because we took too much. Can we take less? Can we look at the way we operate with the racing car? Um, do we really need to take all those spares? Do we really need to take all of this extra computer equipment, et cetera, et cetera? Um, it all adds up. I mean, if if you're paying anywhere between 18 to $35 a kilo for extra freight weight, 
those bills can be quite big quite quickly. So like, this is just one simple example of how we measure it. Yeah. So it's kind of, it sounds to me like it's really a kind of continuous improvement mindset and just, absolutely, you know, asking challenging questions on a regular basis and seeing where the, where the technology is and where things are at at the time and yep. looking to yep. make yep. those, those adjustments as you go. Exactly. That's good. Exactly. And, and does that also apply to the way that you, you engage with your suppliers from a sustainability perspective? Um, and, and it's a difficult one because it's, it's partly about engaging and educating, but I guess also sometimes you've got to think about what the minimum bar is that suppliers have to pass to from a sustainability perspective to work with you. How do you, how do you think that through? I mean, it, it's actually become a lot easier over the last couple of years, I would say, because the supply base is also getting to grips with the fact that they have to be sustainable as well. Otherwise companies won't work with them. It's, it's become as simple as that. Um, you know, the whole supply chain is evolving. You know, I, I certainly my experience is the UK and Europe seems to be leading the way here, um, a little bit more so than perhaps what I see in the US. I mean, for example, with, with us, the, you know, the clothing that I'm wearing right now, it's come from a supplier where they, they make everything from recycled plastic, you know, bottles that have been washed up in the ocean and they, they, you know, turn it back into pellets and they, they can make clothing out of it. So th these are things that we focus on. They've become important before, you know, it wasn't really a, a, a big deal, but now we're looking more and more at this as something that has to be part of the process that we were going through. So it, it, it's become central to what we do. But as I said, the supplier base has evolved to the point that we're not actually limited so much on choice. We're not having to yeah. make a decision on quality or technology because everybody's moving with us. So that, that has certainly helped. Okay. So not so much having to rule people out for sustainability grounds so much these days in the way that you're, no, you're, no. you're working through it. Okay. And does, does the same logic also apply to sponsors? I mean, I guess over the last few years, you'll see more sponsors wanting to come on board, given an increasing focus on sustainability. How do you, how do you select and think about the selection of sponsors in that regard? In, in some ways, it's almost to reverse. You know, okay. companies are out there now that want to sponsor something, sport, whatever it might be. And they're looking for championships, teams, opportunities that are sustainable. And if you're not sustainable, they don't want any part of it. They don't, they don't want to speak to you. And, okay. and Formulary, it's just very interesting because at the time I was working both in Formulary and IndyCar Racing for Andretti. And very, very different animals, but everybody wanted to talk about Formula E because one, it was new and different, but also because of its environmental or sustainable angle. And yeah. that was the championship that they wanted to talk about. And you say, we, we've seen the same now also with Extremely. It doesn't make it any easier to close that deal, but to have yeah. that conversation, you know, that's one of the first things out of their mind is not necessarily Oh, how many races can I come to and where's the fun parties and, you know, how much visibility can I have on my car for so many euros that I'm going to give you? It's about what, 
what is your plan for sustainability? Tell me about it. What is your philosophy? What are you doing here? Because, you know, within their own company ethos, they've had to change. So, you know, like we were talking about the supplier base that we work with just a minute ago, they're looking at us in the same way. And if we're not on board with this, then they don't want to talk about it. How does sustainability help you to connect with with the fans, with the current and the future fans of, of motorsport? But how do you build that into what you do? Uh, it, you know, this is an interesting one. It, it, it's certainly, I would say, a, a conversation that's a lot easier with the younger generation of fans because they, they've kind of come up with it. You know, this is not a new subject for them. This is something that's sort of been, you know, there from birth. It, you know, the, the older motorsport fan, which to be honest, is not really the type of person that we're, we're going to attract because, you know, they, they have their opinions about Formula E, good or bad and extreme E, because, you know, perhaps they're a traditional internal combustion engine guy or girl. They like Formula One with the V10 engines from a few years ago. They like NASCAR, whatever it is. They like the sound, the smell, the emotions of all of that. The, the younger generation of fan or the next generation of fan, you know, they don't necessarily have a love of cars like perhaps you and I did when we were growing up. They like, they yeah. see Formula E more as an entertainment property. They're not yeah. just there for the racing. They're there for, you know, the, the music. They're there for the entertainment that's going on. The, you know, Formula E has an e-village where the fans can wander around and see all of the latest technology from, you know, both the, the car manufacturers and also the um, other suppliers with it or sponsors within the sport, what they're doing, what they're talking about. It. So, it, it you know, it's, they can be engaged and see what the latest thinking is there. So we, we obviously have interaction, not necessarily with the fan in the stand, although we do on occasion. Um, <laughs> we, we certainly have interactions with, with our sponsors and our partners and, you know, they they bring guests to the, the racetrack and maybe they've never been to a motor race before. And this is the first time, although perhaps they've been to the Formula One event, but they've never been to Formula E event. And, you know, we talk to them about what it is that we do, the positive actions that we take and, um, you know, not as only as a team, but also as a championship in general. And I think honestly, they've been very surprised to hear that how serious we are about this. And it, it's just, you know, we're not just saying it because yeah. we feel like we should say it we're saying it because we believe it and we're passionate about it so this is this has been very interesting to have those conversations and you know quite often we give garage tours to to select groups of, of sponsors that come partners that come and in the past i've certainly led quite a few of those garage tours and a number of people have stopped me after you know i've talked about the car and the racing and all the rest of it and, and you know you know, been really interested in what we've had to say about why we're racing in these particular places and what it means to us. So they, they are listening, they are very engaged. And I think they, they come away from these events with their eyes a little wider open and, and, you know, more receptive to what it is that we're trying to achieve. So it, it's definitely been very positive from that perspective. Fantastic. Well, Roger, a great way to, to end the series. Thank you for taking the time to, to speak to us. These are really interesting tips and takeaways. I certainly took from this one, I think for me, took away the, the kind of continued improvement aspects and continuing to ask challenging questions around how you do things uh, as an organization. 
Thank you again, Roger. Much sure, appreciated you. your time. Thank you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk to you as well. It's been good fun. If anyone has any questions on the topics that we've been um, discussing, I'd uh, be more than happy to speak to you. So uh, please feel free to get in touch. It'd be great to hear from you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.